Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. For me, the most important part about whatever you're going to do on stage is, is there intent behind it? Is there an intentional reason for it? And obviously, Pearl Jam playing so many encores and Prince playing so many encores, that was intentional. That was part of them setting up the show. My big personal feeling is always, if you just do it because you haven't thought about it, and that's just the way things go, that's when it starts to feel pro forma. And then there's, there's anything wrong with that. But that's when it can start to maybe feel a little bit like by the books and, and uh, unimaginative. But, you know, playing four encores, playing seven encores, as Prince often did, that certainly is kind of just pushing the envelope in the other direction. Welcome to Yesterday's Concert, a podcast that celebrates live music. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode, we talk to Washington Post journalist Travis Andrews. In this conversation, we discuss his article, Has the Encore Left the Building? Grab your earplugs, because the show's not over yet. Okay, so I'm here with Travis Andrews, and we're going to talk about this great article that he had published in the Washington Post. Has the encore left the building? Travis, how are you today? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I am doing great. And I'm pumped to talk to you about this because I not only am excited about this conversation, the topic, but I love the title of yours as a massive Elvis fan. So fantastic choice for the title. Well, thank you so much. I have to give a partial credit to my editor, Hank Stuver, who helped me come up with it. But yeah, I think it's a, a great headline. That's one of the things that pulled me in. So job well done. Good job, guys. <laughs> So to get started, I think just to have a little fun, get to know each other, let's do a couple icebreakers. And so we'll just have these, see how these go. So uh, first one, have you seen any shows with no encore lately? Yeah, that's actually where the idea for the piece kind of came from. Last year, as the world started to kind of reopen, I started going back to shows and I saw... Let me see if I can remember who it was. I saw Pup, the kind of pop punk band. They famously don't do an encore. I expected that. Same with Gaslight Anthem, who also didn't do an encore. And then I saw the Afghan Wigs, who actually used to be pretty well known for doing encores, where they throw in like a soul song or a soul cover or something like that. And they skipped it. And in every instance, the bands commented on it. My fiance saw the, the chicks, the, the previously noticed the Dixie chicks. They didn't do an encore and they, they used to do them. And, uh, just more and more, I started being like, hold on, hold on, what's going on here? And I kind of dug it. Like, I kind of was getting into it. I was like, all right, the momentum just keeps going. I, I don't get to, you know, go to the bathroom, but that's fine. <laughs> so on the other end of that spectrum, what was the last show that you saw that did have an encore? Let's see. I, I, what should I go to somewhere recently that had... And, oh, that's actually kind of funny. I saw Modest Mouse on their 20th anniversary tour for Lonesome Credit West a few weeks ago. And they, most times when I've ever seen them, don't do an encore. Wow. But in this instance, I think because the set, like the first set was just the album front to back that they left and then they came back and did four more songs. But... It was kind of funny that the band who I did see do an encore is the one that I don't know if I've ever seen do an encore before. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'm going to ask the next question. It's a bit of a concert cardinal sin, and I expect some honesty from you, but I'm going to ask it. Have you ever skipped an encore to beat traffic? No. 
because I don't have a car. So that makes it very easy for me. No, my thing is like, if I'm at a show that I want to be at, I want to soak up every last thing from the concert. My, my move's more let traffic go after and then like stop and grab a beer somewhere and then like go after that. I think that's the much better approach to it. That makes a lot of sense. See, I have to, in all transparency and honesty, I committed the cardinal sin a few weeks ago. We went to Elton John's final concert at Dodger Stadium and we had heard nothing but horror stories about getting out of Dodger Stadium after the show. And so we had a flight, our flight left at eight. And so it was just going to be a crazy morning. And I was like, we can't get back to the hotel at like one or two in the morning. That's just not feasible for us just to turn around immediately and fly home. So we left during the encore, but we could hear it as we walked to our car. So I kind of counteracted that. So that was nice. I think that's fair. I mean, it's particularly Dodger Stadium. I have not seen a show there, but I've heard those same horror stories. And I mean, Elton John, that thing was sold out like, beyond sold out. <laughs> like, oh yeah. You were going to be, you're going to be stuck in traffic for hours. Well, and not to mention the night before some dude beat up a couple of grandparents in the parking lot. So I was like, I want no part of being in that crowd after this is over. So it was, it was an easy decision, but it kind of sucked at the same time. And the Elton John crowd, notoriously rough crowd there. <laughs> oh gosh. I mean them and like the Slayer crowd and like the <laughs> black metal, Norwegian black metal, they're all on the same par, you know, that it's just a motley crew. So, yes. Okay, so last icebreaker before we get into our conversation. I'm going to ask this one twice, actually. I'm going to ask it now, and then I'm going to ask it again at the end. Are you pro or anti-Encore? I knew this question was coming. I've tried to prepare myself for it. And I, <laughs> I am going to give a politician's answer over at the Washington Post. I hear them a lot. So maybe I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm acting like them. But it depends on the show. And I know that it's such a lame answer, but I think that when I see a band like the Afghan, the Afghan Wig show was just pummeling. It was loud, it was fast, it was hard. And it just going through the end and just stopping was awesome. Same with the idea of stopping and then restarting that would be like a total loss of momentum. But then there have been other shows where like the encore is just like this special moment where they come back out. And I like it better when they don't play the song, you know, they're going to play where it's less of like Ockerville River. I think that every time I've seen Ockerville, their encores are just completely unexpected. And that's super fun to me. And then this isn't quite an encore, but I saw Sigurros earlier this year and they just play two sets, each have a different mood. And they're the same length, so one's not an encore per se, but I thought that was really cool. So I think like you can play with the idea in different ways that's fun. What I don't like, and I think a lot of people in my article said this, but like what I don't like is just the rote, we've got the hit, we're saving it, we're going to come back out and we're just going to play it and everyone's going to be... You know it's coming. In fact, when I saw the Hives like 10 years ago here in DC, they saved Hate to Say I Told You So uh, for the encore, naturally. But they were actually hilarious about it. They came back out and they were like, we know you're only here for one thing, but if you want to hear it, we need everyone to sit on the floor of this rock club. <laughs> and people did it. And like, <laughs> then they played it and they played it twice. So it was like super funny. So like, again, like if you have fun with it, if the band seems into whatever they're doing, cool. If you're just like, we're a band and this is how we end shows because we have to and it's just kind of expected and we're bored by it, eh, I'm not into that. 
Well, you bring up a lot of things that we'll talk about today. And like I said, I'm going to ask it again. I'm going to see if I can sway you one way or the other. Uh, <laughs> so my first question, it's really kind of going back and it's, it's a really broad kind of general question, but I, I wanted to set kind of the conversation is, in your opinion, what is the point of an encore? So I think for a long... Well, I think originally the encore was more uh, earnest, for lack of a better word. It was the show's going really well, the band walks off stage and the crowd just really wants more to the point where they are shouting and screaming and clapping and like there's energy and the band is so affected by this outpouring of support that they feel energized to come back out and just play a few more songs. I think that's like the ideal, platonic ideal of the encore and like the original way it used to go. And then I think it just kind of became this performative part of a concert. People then began to expect the encore. So the encore became a pro forma part of going to see live music. And then that just sort of is what it morphed into. And then, you know, bands started saving a big song for the end. So maybe that people would stay, maybe to build momentum or suspense, like whatever the reason, but it just kind of became expected. And then, yeah, in today's world, I think that's kind of it now. I, I think it's just such a inherent part of live music that people expect. And bands today grew up watching their bands, you know, their youth do encores. And it's just kind of, it became one of those things that's accepted without maybe people giving it a ton of thought. You just go to a show and you expect to see an encore. And and, and there's the part two now where if fans go to a show expecting to see an encore, they might leave unhappy if they don't. Mm, yeah. As someone who grew up with rock and roll posters all over their wall, all these ideas of grandeur, of arena concerts and things like that, avoiding the encore feels very punk rock. Like it's intentionally trying to break a tradition. So I think another broader question to ask is, does tradition matter in music? Yeah, that's the problem. I think all my answers need to be yes and no. I think that there's certainly something to be said for upholding tradition. Traditions become tradition for a reason, but questioning them is also really important. And, and like I said earlier, you know, there are times when an encore works and, and every once in a while, there's still like the actual old style encore. I've noticed this more with like double encores where the band comes out and does the pro forma one and then people are still going nuts. And then they're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Let's play a few more songs. Why not? This night is just rolling. So in that sense, like, I think the tradition is is good. I, I think the problem is when you just start to blindly follow tradition without thinking about why why are we doing this? Is this actually an additive in any way to the live music experience? I think that's when you kind of start to fall down the rabbit hole and things become you know, problematic. Hmm. You talking about the multiple encores, one band that I noticed was absent from your article and it kind of surprised me was there was no mention of Pearl Jam, who does typically like minimum three encores, usually four. That's completely uncommon. But I mean, like, it's also kind of weird in the fact that it's planned most of the time. Like, if you look at their set list after the show, it's usually written out that way. You know, was that ever a band that you looked at when you were preparing this article? Pearl Jam and Prince both were kind of the counter examples, which I actually think were in their own wonder after another. They're the bands where if you leave after the first encore, you're missing the cast of show. Yes. Well, and that's, but I mean, they are both artists that pay a lot of homage to the previous generations and to past music. So, I mean, with them kind of in mind and some of these other bands, are we locked into a creative will of paying too much homage to past music? No, I don't think so. I, I think in, in those situations, for me, the most important part about 
whatever you're going to do on stage is, is there intent behind it? Is there an intentional reason for it? And obviously Pearl Jam playing so many encores and Prince playing so many encores, that was intentional. That was part of them setting up the show. My big personal feeling is always if you just do it because you haven't thought about it and that's just the way things go, that's when it starts to feel pro forma. And and then there's there's anything wrong with that, but that's when it can start to maybe feel a little bit like by the books and and unimaginative. Playing four encores, playing seven encores, as Prince often did, that certainly is kind of just pushing the envelope in the other direction. Thinking in my own concert experience, I've definitely been to big arena stadium shows where the crowd absolutely demanded an encore. But typically, when I've seen a crowd demand an encore, it's been at a club show. Do you think the intimacy has to do with that? Oh, yeah. I think in an arena show, you almost expect it more because you're probably seeing, a, I don't want to say a corporate act, but an act that certainly has more corporate interests in terms of the actual stadium, the actual, you know, you plan that show out a bit more because you have to plan the lights in a certain way. Generally, bigger stage shows, those tend to be a little bit more pre-planned down to the note. I'm thinking of like, well, I don't want to mention Kanye, but I was thinking about when I saw Kanye years ago, before everything, when he put on this for Jesus, he had this, this giant ornate show that everything was just so perfectly planned. There's no way you could have deviated. So I think in arena shows, like it's just expected because it can't be spontaneous. Whereas in a club show, you're probably seeing an artist that, you know, you I don't want to say you feel more connected to, but you feel a certain level of connection if you're one of the fewer people seeing this, this artist, right? And they don't have the same constrictions. They can potentially pull out an encore or second encore or do whatever they want without having to worry about necessarily a strictly pre-planned thing because there's no lights to worry about, or at least not in the same way and, and, and all that kind of stuff. There's kind of twofold part to this next question is with the club shows, the two things that I've seen, they are typically the ones that don't have an encore. It's the club shows in my experience. And it's usually one of two reasons. It's because getting off the stage into the green room is inaccessible for them. They would literally have to walk through the crowd and walk back onto the stage, which would just be awkward for everyone. <laughs> and then there's also just the added element of it's usually younger bands, bands that are fresher on the circuit that are in the clubs and bars and small venues. So they don't have as many songs. I can think of one show I saw, Rainwolf, and it's just three guys. It's a trio rock band. And after the show, they played for like maybe 75 minutes, if that, maybe a little less. I remember somebody physically grabbing the guitarist by his collar and saying, play more, man. I don't want to go home yet. That was fantastic. Play more. And the guitarist said, dude, I don't know any more songs. I feel like we literally can't play any more songs. So, I mean, in, in your experience... That's all I got. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, and I saw another band, Drug Dealer. I saw them here in town a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, the crowd was screaming, begging them for more. And they literally were like, we don't know any more songs. We'd love to keep playing for you, but we don't know. Like the bar is open till three, it's 11. We don't know anymore or else we would. <laughs> is that a problem that you encountered when you were preparing this article? I didn't speak to any bands like that, but it's certainly something I've seen in the wild where a new band just has a certain number of songs and, and maybe they stretch out a little bit with a few covers. But yeah, no, I didn't speak to anyone uh, who was in that situation, but certainly one that that, that exists. And it's particularly as you get younger and younger, you know, I remember my friends in like 
high school bands and early college bands, you know, they'd have their 10 songs. And so they just play them and we're just happy to kind of be there and, and get to play in the first place. We're not even thinking about things like the tradition of encores or, or whatever. Talking about the tradition of encores, let's talk about the punk rock ethos of it, like defying the tradition. What are your thoughts about defying the tradition for the sake of defying tradition? Again, I always come back to, is there a reason enhance the show? If you're defying the tradition because you're like, hey, this tradition's boring and pro forma and I just want to like get out there and play my music and that's that. Like, there's a reason behind what you're doing. And there's like, again, I keep using the word intent, but I think that's the most important part is there being some sort of intent and thought behind it, which if you're not playing an encore, most likely there is. I mean, to not do the thing that's mostly expected requires, I would say in most cases, at least kind of thought about, well, why are we going to play an encore? Well, we, we think they're boring. We think everyone does them. They're pointless. They're not punk, which cool. Then there's intent. So I'm down. Well, and one of the things you point out in your article too, is about how, I think it was the Gaslight Anthems, Brian Fallon, that said, he doesn't want to get off the stage and waste the people's time because he can be playing another song. My first thought when I read that was, counterpoint, why don't you come out on stage at the ticketed time and play more songs that way? Not for them, because they every time I've seen them have been punctual. Actually, most shows I see, maybe this is just the, the shows I see in DC with the 930 clubs. I find shows tend to start on time pretty often. So I never found anyone who made that argument, but then was showing up to the show 30 minutes late. But certainly, you know, if, if Gaslight had started 30 minutes late, I would have been like, hold on, there's a logical fallacy here. There's a pretty giant hole in your argument. But those guys, for sure, they get up and they play 27, 28 songs in a row. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can remember the first time I saw Pearl Jam, they started an hour after the ticketed time. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, all right, when are they coming out on stage? And then, you know, you get into all the stuff about like, if Eddie would just be quiet, they could have played five more songs in the set. That kind of thing resonated with me in the fact of, I have seen shows wasted by performers not taking advantage of their time slot or... I saw an artist at a festival this last year who had an hour at the festival, spent 30 minutes of it tuning her guitar. She so ended up playing like five songs. I think artist representation of the time is also undervalued in this conversation because it is something that, I mean, it matters. They can squeeze, if they're worried about squeezing in more songs to make more buck for the listener, that's another avenue for them. Yeah. And I think it's also like, I would think almost more holistically, less about like songs. You bring up the, the guitar tuning, which that sounds frustrating and that sounds boring for the audience. I don't mind a band that banters. If the banter's good and it's fun and adds to the show or they're telling stories, like I'm all for that. I, I think, paint with a broad brush, but I think what's most important is that there's just reasons for what's happening. I, I love the now they tend to banter a lot on stage and they're really funny between playing these generally sad songs. And I've always thought that was added to the experience of seeing them. You know, what's Matt going to say? What are they going to do? So I, I think the bigger thing is just not, as you kind of alluded to, not wasting the audience's time. Don't, don't show up an hour late. What's the point of that? If you, why is your guitar not tuned when you get on stage? Like that's just kind of basic professionalism to some degree. If you're going to be a live entertainment act, to have everything prepared. So I guess my, my big thing is just don't, don't waste the audience time doing things that, you know, probably you could have taken care of beforehand. I agree. And that's, you keep using the word intentionality. So I want to talk a little bit about that. One, one of the shows that came to mind when reading your article about 
encores that matter is when I saw Craftwork last year. It was a very visually compelling show. Yet at the end, they had robots, their robots come out and perform the encore. Completely unique. You know, they were in the shadows hidden. You couldn't see them all, but the the spotlight was on the robots doing the performance. That was special. And then you go on in your article to mention how the Beastie Boys went up into the balcony to do their encore. I remember seeing Motley Crue come up and do pretty much the same thing at a show back on one of their farewell tours, whatever it was. And in that moment, that felt really cheesy. What is the balance of being cheesy and heartfelt in these things versus just kind of wowing the audience with their intentionality? That almost to me sounds like the Supreme Court definition of of porn, the famous line. I, I can't <laughs> define it, but I know it when I see it. It's like you can just kind of feel when someone's trying too hard. And it sounds like maybe Motley Crue was just trying a little too hard and it felt it felt strained and it felt obvious where uh I'm trying to remember who had mentioned the Beastie Boys, but in my piece, but when that person saw the Beastie Boys, it felt fresh and it felt it felt cool and it felt exciting and something new. So I, I think I think that's one of those hard things to say beforehand how it'll be received. But you know, we've seen uh, people break guitars on stage all the time, less these days. But sometimes it feels like spontaneous, even if it's not. And then sometimes it feels clearly planned. And I think you can just kind of it's it's hard to define why but you just have a sense and sometimes it'll feel great and fun and sometimes it just won't work and one of the great parts about art is failure is part of part of the process like sometimes it's it's cool to see a band that maybe tried something like that early on and it didn't work and then later on their career maybe kind of figured it out no obviously Motley Crue and and some but they they were a little far along in their career but I'm open to cool failures so someone tries something and it just doesn't work like hey at least they tried it like that's more interesting to me again than being like we're gonna save our hit single and just play it at the end and then not be into it well, and you talking about breaking guitars made me think about when Phoebe Bridgers was on SNL and broke her guitar and just the Twitter fear blew up in anger. And you know, I remember watching it live and thinking, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, I mean, I've seen guitar smash, that's nothing new, but seeing her do it, it really excited me. And I was really disappointed to get on Twitter and see people just, I mean, even David Crosby going after her. So what is the level of gatekeeping? that is involved in having an encore versus don't have an encore. I mean, is it cynical to say like, oh, you're not having an encore because you're just wanting to be different? I don't think it's cynical. I'm sure that some people are just not having an encore because they want to be different. I think when you talk about gatekeeping, I I think at the end of the day, it's not going to make or break a band if they do an encore or not. That discourse about Phoebe Bridgers was pretty divided, pretty divisive. And it didn't affect her career in any way, except maybe make her name known by more people. So at the end of the day... You know, if you want to have an encore, you want to not have an encore, people are going to have strong opinions. That's just that's just the way it is. And and obviously in Phoebe's case, I think because she's a young woman playing rock music, there certainly was a part of that discussion that, that got gross, that got misogynistic. And then I think there was also the part that was more earnest than people saying like, oh, I truly thought that was cool. I truly didn't think that was cool. But you certainly as with anything these days, go down the rabbit hole far enough on the internet. And for that one, you didn't have to go down the rabbit hole because as you said, you had major male musicians saying uh, pretty gross things. So my thing is, you know, stay off Twitter and it won't matter. (laughs) (laughs) That's advice all of us could take a little bit right now, isn't it? (laughs) So, I mean, one of the things, and we've kind of touched on this so far, but one of the things about live music today is 
the spectacle that it has become. I mean, anytime you get out of pretty much just the bars and the clubs, the shows are pretty much all spectacle. I mean, even like when I saw Beach House last year, it was a very minimalistic show, but it was very much a spectacle in presentation. Has live music become too much of a spectacle with flash and pizzazz taking away from the music? What I'm struck by with thinking throughout this conversation is I don't go to a lot of arena shows, which I hadn't really thought about, but it's it's true. So I, I, I know what you mean. And I've definitely seen some shows like that. I remember seeing Arcade Fire when they had the boxing ring. And part of it was like, oh, I remember when I first saw the, the stage. I don't know if you know or saw them on this uh, tour, but a couple years ago, they did a tour where they had a literal boxing ring and that's what they played in. And they kind of played, I believe it rotated and they kind of played all facing a different direction. And I saw it and I was like, that's cheesy. That's going to be terrible. And then they put on a killer show. It turned out being like a really cool setup. And they had the Preservation Hall jazz band from my hometown, New Orleans, out there uh, with them, like marching around it. And it actually, and they did a second line at the end, and it ended up being awesome. But I remember when I first saw it, I was like, oh man, come on. Um, so I think it's, it's tricky. And I think you get to that level when you're playing a stadium or an arena, you're playing to so many people, and people are way in the back and they can't really see. And there's something nice about having something for them to kind of almost look at. There's definitely, I think, a tipping point where you can go too far and it's like, wait, this isn't even about the show. But like, the Secret Rose is a band I mentioned earlier. I have seen them in a basketball stadium. This year I saw them in a smaller venue, but they do like really cool video and light shows. And I think it really complements the music and it goes together and it adds to it. They came up with something that made the music feel bigger than it is, which is, I think, the cool thing that can happen in an arena show. But I definitely think that, that you can like push it way too far. And then you're sitting there and you're like, well, am I even listening to anyone play live? Are these all pre-recorded tracks that I'm just like watching a stage play almost? You got to walk that tightrope. And I'm sure those bigger, bigger shows, they can more often than not maybe tip the wrong way. Hmm. But that's, I mean, you saying that made me think about seen Tame Impala. I mean, one of the absolute best light show spectacles I've ever seen, but it totally complemented the music. I mean, the same with Beach House. Minimalistic light show, very impressive in its own right though, but it complemented the music so well that, I mean, it, it really did just accentuate the entire live performance and experience because it was so complimentary of the show. I'm agreeing with you in that. I'm also thinking about, I went to my first concerts at Red Rocks this last year. And I sat fairly high up so that way I'd have a good view over the stage of the skyline and the, the beautiful sky and mountains and everything. But I remember the band that I saw did not have a big light show. It was a very, very minimalistic light show. And I remember thinking like, this is one of the greatest shows I've ever seen because of the focus on the music. It wasn't about the lights. It wasn't about all the crazy smoke machines or whatever, fog, antics. It was about the music. And it made me wonder, have live shows lost their focus from the music and turned into the spectacle? What are your thoughts? I would be so curious if that same show that you saw, instead of being at Red Rocks, was at a college basketball stadium, if you would feel the same way, right? I can say I, was, I saw them at Bonnaroo. I saw, it was King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, but I also saw them at Bonnaroo. Yeah, so I've seen them multiple times in different venues. and. I mean, yes, the beautiful venue did accentuate that. 
But I think the pool of what made that weekend special was yes, the mountains and the view is beautiful, but the music translated right. It translated like it was supposed to. I didn't need the extra flash because the music did what it was supposed to. Yeah, I think that's awesome. When that works, it, it really works well. But even then, you mentioned Bonner. That's still, you know, I still picture outdoors, Tennessee, farmland. I don't know. Like when I think about seeing Sierros, to go back to that example, in the basketball stadium, I like that there was a light show and a video kind of thing going on that kind of distracted me a little bit from the fact that I was sitting, you know, where the next night basketball was going to take place and that there were jerseys hanging from the ceiling and banners and all that. Like, I think that is one of the reasons there's often that kind of stuff on stage. Now, again, you can do it way too much. You can push it too far. But I do think setting some sort of a mood in that way can be nice if you don't have some natural aspect accent. I'm not saying that word right today, but uh, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So the one thing, kind of as we kind of start to wrap up, one of the things that I want to bring out of your article because I absolutely love the references. You you reference the post-scene Marvel scenes that have become the norm for a lot of movies. I mean, even when you go see like a comedy and I get out of the show, I'm like, wait, was I supposed to wait? It's become the norm. So can you kind of talk about that reference for a minute? Yeah. So at the end of Marvel movies, all the Marvel Cinematic Universe superhero movies, there's generally at the end of the credits or maybe midway through the credits, a little scene, they call it a stinger that usually is, uh, for lack of a better word, a mini trailer. Just a scene that sets something else up, sets up another movie, kind of gets you excited for another movie potentially or whatnot. Now, when that first happened, I don't know which movie it first happened in, but I believe it might have been the first Iron Man. Marvel fans don't come at me. Uh, I could be wrong. It could be a different one. I believe you're right. So I'll take the fall with you on this one. I appreciate that, man. But when that first happened, that wasn't very common. So it was exciting. It was like, oh, like a singer. You don't get those too often. That's fun. At this point, it's so expected that people just wait through the credits, kind of bored for the stinger, I think. I'm sure some people love them. But personally, it feels so expected that any... What made it exciting in the first place was it was unexpected. Like, oh, okay. Oh, I didn't expect that to happen. And so that was really fun. And uh, oh, Sam Jackson. Whoa, okay. Where now it's almost like a chore where you have to wait for it because you know it's coming. And then you go see other movies and you're like, oh, wait, do they have a stinger? Because now they become common. And then you're Googling it. And, and then if there's not a stinger, like if they ever had a Marvel movie and you sat through the credits and nothing happened, you'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> Why am I still sitting here? No offense to everyone who worked on the movie whose names I just did not read. <laughs> and so I think it's the, the same for the encore. It, it just comes down to something loses any excitement. If it just stops being exciting, then well, that's the opposite of exciting, right? So as we wrap up, I want, I want this to be my last question. And then I'll come back to the, the icebreaker again. Do you think there's ever going to be a day where we don't see encores anymore? No, I think they're too ingrained. And I think I mean, one thing a lot of people push back on that article is saying, well, here's all these examples of bands that do have encores. And my, my intent was never to say that most bands don't do encores. My intent was more of this seems to be a growing trend. But at the end of the day, encores are still built in part of the live music experience. And it's hard for me to imagine they would ever go away completely, considering I would say probably like 90%. I mean, this is a completely made up number, but like, most bands overwhelmingly still play on course. Mm-hmm. Still, it eliminates the potential that there will be an actual earned, demanded encore 
ever. I mean, because it's like we've said, there have been shows where the crowd demanded an encore and it happened. So I think to eliminate encores is silly. So like I said, I want to come back. I'm going to ask you the icebreaker one more time, see if you've swayed your opinion any. I want you to have a firm stance now. Are you pro or anti-encore? Oh man, you put me in a tough position. <laughs> you, can't, you can't politician your way out of this. <laughs> the truth is that there still needs to be intent. And so with that in mind, I'm going to say I'm anti-encore because usually that requires a bit more intent with the caveat that if the encore is done right and there was a, a reasoning behind it and a thought put into it, then that I like them. But if I have to come down, I think keeping in line with my party line here is that there needs to be intentionality. And more often than not, if you're not playing an encore, that's a choice you made intentionally. So there's my answer, anti. I love it. Travis, great conversation. Yeah. Thanks for talking to me about this. I'm going to include your uh, article in the show notes so people can check it out. Thanks again for talking to me. Well, thanks so much for having me. This has been a blast, man. Thanks for listening to another episode of Yesterday's Concert. Thoughts? Similar experiences? Disagree? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Or you can email us at info at yesterdaysconcert.com. If you're feeling kind, give us a review on Apple Podcast. Otherwise, until next time, give us a subscribe, check out our website, yesterdaysconcert.com, and most importantly, take care of your shoes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.